Hello, I'm Mark Olson, and this is The Real, a podcast where culture meets entertainment. I write about movies here at The Times, and like most anyone else these days, I also find myself watching more than a little television. Between movies and TV, a frequent topic of conversation among my colleagues here on the entertainment staff of the paper is how tough it is for any of us to just keep up. So this show is about the stuff that we're watching and how we watch it. This week is a special episode recorded in Toronto, Canada, where a team of LAT film reporters have been covering the Toronto International Film Festival. From award season titles like A Star is Born, If Beale Street Could Talk, or Widows, to even headier art house fair, the festival in Toronto covers a lot of ground. So my colleagues Justin Chang, Travel Anderson, Jen Yamato, all got together to talk it through. Let's listen in. We're here in Toronto, Canada, where we of the Los Angeles Times have been covering the Toronto International Film Festival. We're fairly deep into the festival at this point, so all the staff that we have, we're, I think, on our second wind, maybe our third wind. We're all slightly punchy, hitting the wall. And uh, I'm joined here for sort of a festival overview with some of my colleagues. I've got with me... Justin Chang, film critic. Travel Anderson, film reporter. Jenny Yamato, karaoke investigator and film reporter. And maybe a good way to get started talking about this year's festival. Travel, I know this is your first time sort of attending Toronto in full. You were here for one day only last year. Can you just maybe give some of your impressions of the festival here in Toronto, in particular, maybe in relation to the experiences you had at Sundance earlier this year? Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like there are just so many more films here all happening like at the same time, it would appear. I, I feel like at Sundance, the the premieres were like a little bit more spread out. So like you could make it to all of them. Whereas here you kind of have to choose. Um, you know, we have to divide and conquer for somebody to go to Beale Street and somebody goes to First Man and somebody goes to this one, right? Somebody go to Roma. Um, right, to Roma. Hmm. And so, you know, that's been kind of hectic um, for me personally. But generally, I mean, I think it's it seems to be kind of a great festival just for like film lovers, people who just want to, you know, who don't mind jumping in line two hours before a film to hopefully get in and watch something that everybody's been talking about. What Travel said is absolutely right. I mean, it's there is this you absolutely have to choose. I think we have a team of about five or six of us here, and all of us could be working around the clock. We have been working around the clock, seeing films around the clock, and not see the same film. We could all have no overlap in our trajectories. And I kind of hate that about Toronto, and I love that about Toronto. This is also where you get some of the best films from Sundance and Cannes. And, uh, of course, the just recently concluded Venice and Telluride film festivals, which are all, which happen within the same week as, as Toronto. So it's sort of, it is, you know, this festival was founded as the festival of festivals, and that's very much what it is. And now, Justin, is there anything that you feel like's gotten kind of an immediate boost, whether it was something that actually world premiered here or something that's in this sort of like this cycle of Telluride, Venice, Toronto? What are, what's maybe a title that you feel has really like popped? Over the last like 10 days. Roma, Alfonso Cuaron's film, which won the Golden Lion at Venice, the award that also went to The Shape of Water last year. So that award, it's funny, the Golden Lion is not historically, festival awards have not historically been harbingers of Oscar success necessarily. It's interesting to see, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Roma, but that award is suddenly becoming some kind of a hot indicator of this thing we call Oscar buzz. Travel, you saw Roma, didn't you? I did. I know. What did you make of it? 
I am probably the only person who was not as moved as everyone else was with the film. It is a black and white story that's kind of a collection of memories from Alfonso Cuaron's uh, childhood. And it's a foreign language film. And it is a intimate film. I'll say it's very intimate. I did not hate it, but I did not love it. And did it get a big response from the audience when you saw oh, it? Oh, yes. They loved it. They ate it up. The lady I was sitting to, next to, she was bawling her eyes out. So obviously, I just don't have a heart. But everyone has seemed to to enjoy it. It's interesting, Travel. I almost don't want to speak too much about Roma at this point. But I would only say, I don't think your reaction is alone. I don't, I don't think you're the only one to have that reaction. I'm just the only um, one saying it out loud. No, I actually think <laughs> I'm curious to see. And it's, it's hard because, and this is what is so kind of frustrating sometimes about these waves of hype that are crashing all at the same time. And are you on the first wave that is, you know, embracing this movie rapturously? And or are you on the second wave that is kind of stroking your chin and thinking, yeah, that's, you know, not really as great as all that. And I, I don't know. I mean, with, I think Roma's a beautiful movie. I too wonder if I was a little bit oversold on it. And I'm not saying that I was because I think that this is a movie that is very rich and packed with meaning. And it's just a beautifully composed film that I want to watch a second and third time before, you know, that's the other frustrating thing I think is that we are often all just weighing in with our opinions so quickly, at least among, among critics, certainly, and, and other journalists too. That is the way this machinery works. There's no going back now, but uh, ideally these films would be spaced out a little more and you'd actually have time to sit with something and ruminate on it. And Roma, especially, which is nothing if not a ruminative experience. I would love for you guys to talk more about Beale Street. That's another film that was a, a true world premiere here. It really hasn't been seen anywhere else. Barry Jenkins, If Beale Street Could Talk, which is an adaptation of a James Baldwin novel. And Justin, why don't you kind of like talk us through the story of the movie a little bit, and then we can get into some of the response that it's had here at the festival. This is based on James Baldwin's novel, 1974, and it's set in 1970s Harlem. The central conflict is that, you know, he has been falsely accused of rape, and has been thrown behind bars around the same time that Tish tells him that she's pregnant with their child. And that is the, the, the central, you know, kind of the premise of the movie, but it, it kind of then fans out through this beautiful kind of mosaic of memory and, and again, social commentary and reliving history of just, I would say, just images of black life in America. It shows you kind of the, the bonds of devotion from between families, um, between neighbors, that hold this love story together. And, you know, when Cameron Bailey introduced the film at the world premiere, he said, you know, he, he said a line that might sound cheesy, but I think actually is quite true, where he says that the film is sort of an act of love in itself. It like, it's not just a, a love story. It actually embodies this. And I think you feel that. And when I was writing about it, I was struck by just how there is this, you, you really do feel Barry Jenkins's kind of heart in this movie and not just insofar as he likes his characters and he, you know, loves them and wants to, you know, and cares about them and sympathizes with them. It's just in, I, I think there's some of the most exquisite, beautiful filmmaking in this, the, the use of color, the way he just makes this cast look beautiful. Travel, I, I want to hear what you. I know you love no, it too. No, I, yeah, I, yeah. I completely agree. I agree. Yeah. And I had the chance to talk to Barry. The, the interview will be online by the time this, this goes up, this podcast goes up. I completely agree. I mean, I think, you know, people have a lot of expectations of what this, what they want this to be coming off of Moonlight. Um, and I think Barry kind of put all of that away and did the type of film that he just wanted to do. He had written the script at the same time he wrote the Moonlight script. Moonlight just, 
got produced faster. And so what we have on screen is, is basically almost word for word what James Baldwin wrote in the book. Some people will like that. Some people won't like that, to be clear. But he was very kind of intent on, on maintaining a fidelity to how James Baldwin kind of captures the Black experience, um, particularly the Black experience of this time period, as well as, I think, the general kind of unapologetic nature and uh, social commentary that Baldwin is is known for outside of his novel. So I really enjoyed it. I think Stefan James and Kiki Lane, who play our two leads, are really great in it. I think Regina King is the MVP of the cast. She plays the mother of Stefan James character but literally everyone in this film is like holding their own and i was just so one of the things i love one of the many things i love about barry jenkins and moonlight in particular is his filmmaking is kind of a tribute to some of his own favorite filmmakers perhaps most evidently wong kar wai who is you know one of the most influential stylists in hong kong and just world cinema period and i love that because and he really leans into that in if beale street could talk he's like you know just the way the cigarette smoke you know kind of emanates and just swirls in these beautiful slow-mo pans it's like he it's it's interesting because he is absolutely being faithful to baldwin but he's also doing it in his his own very idiosyncratic way and I, i i love that because you know we sometimes think about like art cinema and international art cinema as this thing that's removed from our lives this thing that is kind of this this you know that only pretentious film snobs like myself give a damn about and the truth is no it's actually not it's it's you know beauty cinematic beauty is actually a way of perceiving human experience and how we see the world and he takes this kind of this this very glamorous aesthetic that you saw you know uh, Tony Leung and Maggie Chung doing in, in the mood for love and he transplants that to the story of these young African-American lovers in 1970s Harlem and it's like and I, I just I get so moved by that I just think that is so wonderful I mean this is kind of this not just in the way it just kind of dignifies these actors these characters but just this idea that the language of art cinema of international art cinema is a very actually a very democratic and egalitarian language and i think that's absolutely something that i I would love to see more filmmakers doing this in their own ways not just you know we don't need a hundred wong kar wai copycats but i love that this is you just this is what comes from barry jenkins and i just think it's so just stepping back a little bit and looking at widows and this film you know, this is really interesting. I compare them not just because they're black filmmakers. Steve McQueen is British and, and Barry Jenkins is American, but because these two men are coming off Oscar winning best pictures. And it's fascinating to see how they both just kind of, I think, leaned into. Now, Travel, I want to be sure to, that we talk a little bit about the response to Beale Street and what that it's gotten here at the festival. It's interesting that going into the festival this year, the organizers of the festival made a concerted effort. They made sort of um, a special program to bring, they want to try to bring 200 critics of sort of underrepresented communities, unrepresented voices to the festival, people who had not been here before and otherwise might not have the opportunity to be here because they felt that there were movies that would be talked about one way during a film festival and be talked about another way when the film was released and got to sort of a broader group of critics or people able to see it and write about it. And I want to use kind of Beale Street as maybe an example for that. Do you feel like the conversation around the premiere of Beale Street has been different than what it might have been, let's say, last year? Or like, what what is your response to the way the movie's being talked about? I think if we just look at the reviews that have been written that have come out about Beale Street, I mean, you look at the reviews that are in the trades, 
how they're written, what is highlighted, what isn't highlighted. And you look at the reviews that have been written in some of the the more digital outlets that have been done from these more diverse voices or people of different experience levels um, and in life experiences. And there is a difference in how this movie is, to be quite frankly, I think, been received and is being talked about from, you know, the white critical point of view and then the black critical point of view. There are, and that's not to say that white critics and white folks can't gather and get what the black critics and black folks are getting from the film, but a lot of them aren't based on the conversations and the people who have the platforms to share what they feel about a particular, about this particular film to be specific, right? And so, the focus on what people choose to highlight in Beale Street Could Talk is different based on the life experiences that we bring to it. And I'll just say, I'll, I'll put it on the record, there was a review in Variety that a lot of people, a lot of people on, uh, in social circles and on social media have been critiquing that I personally felt is offensive in how it was written, the the ways in which that particular writer decided to focus on the story and... There is a line in which, you know, the writer uses the word baby daddy to refer to Stefan James's character, Fani. The writer also, on the first go around the story, kind of equates Barry Jenkins's adaptation of If Beale Street Could Talk from by James Baldwin, a black man, to Steven Spielberg, a white man, adapting Alice Walker's the color purple, a black queer woman. I personally find that offensive just because it, it, it just does not equate in my mind. And I don't think it equates in anyone else who truly has kind of a, a well-rounded and fully thought out understanding of cinema and particularly the roles and the, the, the experiences of black folks in cinema. And Jen, do you think we're seeing some of these same issues around Roma, the Alfonso Cuarón film, that there, I think, so far have not been a lot of Latinx critics who've had a chance to write about that yet? And so are we seeing some of these same issues of sort of perspective of the writer in the reviews we're getting so far? It's interesting. I can't speak to Roma directly because I haven't read that many Roma reviews, frankly, yet. Sometimes movies that are extremely dense and, I would add, culturally specific, require much more time and reflection before you just rattle off a review to be one of the first out of a festival to weigh in on something that is high profile and therefore, you know, will be more intensely watched uh, critically. And I think Roma and Beale Street are two examples of films that probably necessitate deeper reflection before you even figure out how you understand the text if you are not of the culture that it represents. And I think that's an important thing for editors to think about as they hire and assign reviews to either staff critics or freelance critics. This year, TIFF was one of the the first festivals, major festivals, to publicly commit to a diversity initiative to accredit 20% more critics, journalists from underrepresented communities. And I've seen that reflected here in the last five days. And it's wonderful. It's it's great to see so many critics of color, women of color, critics from diverse gender and identity backgrounds here for the first time. And many of them thought that they probably could never come to a festival like this, whether they had the, the means to do it as freelancers or the access. 
Yeah, I just add, I mean, in a lot of, speaking of Beale Street Could Talk, a lot of the kind of review roundups, you know, when they do those stories that are like, this is what, you know, the first people are saying, you know, one story that I looked at, you know, it was all black folks, including myself, whose tweets they had pulled. And all of us, all of the people whose tweets they had pulled, it was like either our first or second time coming. It was my first time, though I wasn't a part of this diversity initiative because I work at the LA Times. But a lot of those other voices that were pulled were, you know, from, you know, these folks who who write for small blogs or they've been, you know, just freelancing for a long time and they aren't associated with a, a larger outlet. And so I do think that that affects how we talk about a particular film. And what it does is it allows for that variety review to not be the definitive review of A Beale Street Could Talk. There are so many other different perspectives on the film. And I think that's truly what the goal is of all this diversity talk is to have more voices of a variety of different experiences, whether yours are positive or negative, contribute to this conversation about film. And so maybe as a way to sort of wrap up this part of our conversation, I want to just be sure to ask for a favorite, like Justin, maybe not among the titles that we've been talking about. Is there something that we haven't talked about yet that you'd want to be sure to sort of shout out? Absolutely. And that one is a very easy choice for me. High Life, the film by Claire Denis, starring Robert Pattinson, outer space, um, sexual deviants, uh, you know, death row, uh, violence, um, biology physics reproduction it's just a mesmerizing movie that i have been waiting for you know a while to see and so but uh, my 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 expectations were not disappointed and um i hope that movie will be released soon and i hope you everyone gets a chance to see it i must say i had something of a rare treat i got to interview claire denis here at the festival ahead of the film's first screening and it actually has been to me i mean it was just a treat to talk to her but also to see the response that the movie has gotten and the way the reception that she has received. And I feel like this film being in the science fiction genre, having stars like Robert Pattinson and Juliette Binoche and Andre 3000 uh, acting as Andre Benjamin and Mia Goth in the movie. It's just, it's elevated the profile of this movie and it's elevated the profile for her in such a fantastic way that I feel like this is for someone who's been making films for 30 years, has been in the film industry even longer than that. This has strangely felt like some coming out for Claire Denis. And I feel like her, you know, the cult stardom she's always had in cinephile circles has maybe gone to a little bit of a step more towards the mainstream or sort of like a broader audience. And partly because she has been boosted by none other than Barry Jenkins also, who counts her absolutely among one of his great stylistic influences. She's an amazing filmmaker. I'm so thrilled to see the reaction she's getting as well. And Travel, have you had a, a movie among that we haven't talked about yet that you want to be sure to shout out? Yes, it's a movie. It's a foreign film called Rafiki. It is a kind of black queer tale set in Kenya about these two young Kenyan girls who fall in love, but obviously because it's Kenya, um, homosexuality is is illegal. And so it talks about their kind of experiences of navigating that and making choices between their love for each other and kind of their safety. Um, and it's directed at, by a, a Kenyan woman um, who is queer. And it's just kind of like beautifully rendered and it's colorful and it's intriguing and it's wonderfully done. And one kind of interesting thing that the director mentioned at the Q&A was that because LGBTQ kind of identity in life and sex is, is banned in the country, no one a part of the cast has even seen the film yet and they can't show it 
in the country, which in addition to kind of the LGBTQ nature of it, the powers that be in the country also felt like the ending of the movie was too hopeful. And because of the hopefulness of it, they banned it. And so it's just an interesting story around the film and how they they filmed it and how some of the actors that they had involved with it turned the project down once they discovered it was about, you know, two queer women. But it, it's beautifully done. It's it's so good, so kind of uh, endearing to see that type of story. And so I hope that people will figure out a way to kind of access that film. And then I'll just take a moment. I'm going to be incredibly on brand. And uh, I'm going to mention the new film by Olivier Asayas, nonfiction, that um, has played some of the other festivals this fall. And, you know, Asayas is a filmmaker that's, you know, he's had many films here at Toronto. And every time you think you know who he is and what he's about, he surprises you with something new in this new film. It's essentially a romantic comedy, very much a comedy about Juliette Binoche plays a, a French television actress, her husband, played by Guillaume Canet, runs a publishing house. He is sort of struggling with the digital future of publishing. And so throughout this movie, and they they both are having affairs, and it's kind of this romantic rondelet with these other characters. And yet every conversation that they have is about what is the future going to be like? And they're concerned about publishing, they're concerned about television, like what's the future of entertainment going to be? And I just think it is both like a fun, playful, sexy movie that also is about very real things that, you know, as a person obviously in the publishing world that we're very concerned with those issues ourselves and so I just I just really thought it just did a great job of like sort of hitting both of those things at the same time and so with that we're going to wrap up this this part of our talk from here at the Toronto International Film Festival I'm Mark Olson for The Real thanks for listening 